You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you for that um, worship. I, oh, man, I, I believe that's a hymn, isn't it? Isn't it? Wow. That's a, it's a, I love it. Love it. <laughs> Let's do this. Look at your neighbor. I know if you're new to us, we sometimes do these kind of things. But look to your neighbor and smile at them. Just smile at them. Hopefully they have nice teeth. <laughs> okay. And now with that same smile, you're going to tell them, you're not a fool. Amen. Amen for that. You're not a fool. Exactly. You're not a fool. Today we're going to talk a little bit about foolishness. And we're going to use terminology that is found in Scripture. And the title of this message is Overcoming Foolishness by Seeking God. Amen. Yes. So, um, it was an interesting week for me because um, on top of everything that I do, some of you don't know this, but I'm almost done with my seminary, so the classes are getting more demanding. There's more Greek, there's more Hebrew, and uh, we had young adult ministry, we had youth, and then I received a lovely call on Thursday from our pastor, Matt, and he tells me, hey, can you cover the bases on Sunday? Uh, I'm glad that William had Susan line up because otherwise I would have also led worship this morning. So we praise the Lord that we have people in our congregation that step up and help. But um, obviously it was an intense week. But here we go. Let's, let's, let's study scripture a little bit. Um, and so what I'm going to do today is for the first half of this message, I'm going to build up uh, a little bit of an argument in terms of um, what does it mean to be a fool according to God's eyes? Okay, um, and we're going to look at history a little bit. So there's going to be a little bit of history. Um, it, in fact, I would suggest that on your notes, you can draw like a timeline because this might be easier for you to follow the message today. And how many of us recognize BC time versus a, AD, AD, right? Am I saying that right? Okay, AC or whatever. Sometimes they change the letters. But there's B, BC and AD. And usually uh, when you do... Uh, BC, you go from bigger numbers to smaller numbers. So as we get closer to our time, we go from maybe a thousand years to 500, 300, and we get closer, right? And then once we pass that threshold, there's no zero AD, by the way. There's one AD, and after that, we come to our time, right? So we're in 2022 AD. And that's going to be important to understand some of the things that I'm going to mention today. So, if you would be so kind and come, go to Psalms 53, and we're going to start with David. And for those of you that drew your timeline, I want you to place a point somewhere, maybe closer to the left, that it says approximately 1000 BCE. Because David, we believe that many of the Psalms were written by David. And David was most likely alive during that time, in the, between 1,000, 970 or so is when David was um, alive and most likely writing these psalms. And what we're going to do is we're going to start with Psalm 53, one, verses 1 through 6. And I want you to hear, again, the, the, the thing about these psalms is that these are like songs or poems. Um, so when David is writing this, 
he's probably sending this to their worship leader at the temple. At that time, it was the tabernacle because the one who built the temple was his son, Solomon. But uh, here in, in 53, he's writing this worship to God. But it's interesting that he uses the land. He's, he's reflecting on those who are the enemies of Israel. So let us start in verse 1. And it starts like this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So right there in the first verse, we recognize that the fool is someone who could be wicked, someone who denies the law of God, someone who doesn't care to follow the statutes of the Lord. Um, and at times, in their hearts, they even say there is no God. Is that clear, church? Do we have a fair understanding, biblically speaking, of what foolishness is all about? Not necessarily intellectual, but foolishness in terms of how they live their lives and morality and how they're following the law of God. Let's continue. I'm going to restart and continue. The, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And at that point, it looks like it's a general thing, right? But then in verse 4, we start seeing that David is comparing that to those that are kind of against Israel. Continue in verse 4. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour... Check this out. My people, as though eating bread, they never call on God. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread. Where there was nothing to dread, God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame, for God despised them. And here is a hopeful ending. Oh, the salvation for Israel will come out of Zion. That's the city of David. Jerusalem, is, it was placed in Jerusalem. When God restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. So right here we see that we have a righteous king. David was considered a righteous king. In fact, a lot of the kings after him were measured by the standard of David. Imagine if all the pastors after this were measured by the standard of Matt. That would be great. That's, that means it was a good, a good standard, right? So that's the same thing that is happening with the king's ear. So we have righteous kings. We have a decent priesthood. In fact, maybe some of you remember the prophet Nathan. Nathan comes to David and rebukes him when he's sinning. So there's accountability. People care about the statutes of the Lord. So isn't, this is a good time, in the, somewhere in the 1000 BC. And what we see here is that David is meditating and he's frustrated because there are people that are not following God's commandments. So there's a lot of frustration here. All right, if you're on your timeline, we're going to move a little bit forward in time. We're going to the years 620s or so, 30s B.C. We're going to Jeremiah. A lot has happened. So please go to Jeremiah chapter 13. And let's see what's happening with this foolishness, this wickedness. So move to your right in the Old Testament from Psalms to Jeremiah. 
chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 17. So what's happening with Jeremiah? Jeremiah is a young prophet. In fact, many believe that when he was called, he was probably in his late teenage years. So if you're a teenager in this room, you're in good hands. God may call you at an early age. So many believe he was either that or young 20s. And he's related to the priesthood of that time. His father is a high priest. Uh, I believe his name is Hilkiah. And uh, he's, in that, he's looking at what's happening to Israel. By 620, the Assyrians have already conquered the northern kingdom. If you remember, during the time of Rehoboam, we had the northern kingdom and we had the southern kingdom. There were two tribes in the southern kingdom, and one of them was Judah. Um, and in the northern, there were, there were ten. And in 720 or so, 21, the Assyrians came and got rid of of the northern kingdom and that was the first judgment the big judgment but now Judah is not really understanding what's going on they don't understand God's heart and we're in this position right now in Jeremiah where Jeremiah is prophesying that that Babylon now is going to come and conquer the southern kingdom as well so let's see what's happening here in verses 12 through 17 and this is uh, Jeremiah receiving a word from the Lord And it begins like this in verse 12. Say to them, God is speaking, remember. Say to them, Jeremiah, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Every wineskin should be filled with wine. And if they say to you, don't we know that every wineskin should be filled with wine? Then tell them, this is what the Lord says. Pay attention to this, church. I am going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land, including the kings who sit on David's throne. Oh, look at that. The priests, the prophets, and all those living in Jerusalem. I will smash them one against the other. Parents and children alike, declares the Lord. I will allow no pity or mercy or compassion to keep me from destroying them. Those are harsh words. But you have to remember that even the priests were worshiping false idols, involving things that they shouldn't have, idolatry. They thought that they were in good hands, the people of Israel, because they had a temple backing them up. They thought that they were fine because they would do all the rituals. In other words, they thought they were fine because they were going to church every Sunday morning. They thought that they were fine because they were going to Wednesday night every single week. They thought that they were fine because they they were giving money to the temple. They thought that they were fine because they were doing everything according to the law. But in fact, their hearts were completely departed from what God wanted for them. And that's a scary place to be at. So the foolishness that began with the people outside of Israel, the foolishness now come to the people of God. Let's continue. 15. Hear and pay attention. Do not be arrogant, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings the darkness. Before your feet stumble on the darkening hills, you hope for light, but he will turn it into utter darkness and change it to deep gloom. If you do not listen, look at what God says about his people. I will weep in secret. 
because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears, because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. And if you continue to read that chapter, it it just intensifies that God is tired of the sin, the exile is coming, and all the Jews are going to be sent to different places around the world. And yes, there are some good promises that God will bring them back. And some of it has already happened, but we all know that the, Israel, the, the new Israel has not been joined with him as one yet. All right, so that's in, 620, in the 620s. It only took 400 and some years for things go from the outsiders to the people of God. The interesting thing is that this is a prophecy about the second uh, attack, right, from, ba- from Babylon. The first attack came from the Assyrians. Now, I'm going a little bit back, but we're not, going, we're not necessarily going to discuss it today. But I want to make a mention here. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, and he's prophesying, again, your timeline. So you went from 1,000 to 600, and we're going to go back to 740 or so. Isaiah, in chapter 53, he talks about the suffering servant that will come to die for us. As Christians, we now understand that that was a prophecy about Jesus in chapter 53. But this is the interesting thing. The prophecy is about 3 B.C., which is, or 2 B.C., which is where we think God, Jesus was born, to about 27, 28 A.D. See how we're getting closer to our timeline. So even though it was in the 720s, he's talking about 700 years later. And in Isaiah 53, it says that the suffering servant will come with nothing that will be appealing to the eye. He was not a handsome guy from the, what is one of those TV shows, The, the Bachelor or something like that? Oh, oh, some people are laughing, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of those shows, or, or maybe he wasn't at the, stat, at the level of a, your favorite and, and more, most handsome uh, TV actor or whatever. He was someone that could not, physically he was not appealing. He was not attractive. And you know what's the sad part? That he comes as God and man, he's both. And his people did not recognize him. Because the foolishness doesn't allow you to see the revelation of God. The foolishness doesn't allow you to see what God is doing. And what we said in Psalms, the issue is that people are not seeking God. They're following statutes, they're following laws, but they're not seeking God. So Jesus was literally amongst his people, and people did not recognize him. Fortunately, there's a few people mentioned in the Gospels, like Hannah and, uh, and Simeon. He, these were old people that were in the temple seeking the Lord. And if you remember Simeon, Simeon grabbed the baby, Jesus, and he said, oh, he was excited. He was joyful because he said, oh, I have seen salvation. And he, was, he, he told the Lord, now your promise has been fulfilled. Now I can die. Take me with you. He waited a few years to see that promise. But who were the ones that were able to identify him? The ones that were seeking him. The ones who were hungry for him. The ones who wanted to read the words of the prophet and see it happen. The ones that were meditating on the word of the Lord every day. The ones that were in the temple, giving their time and their efforts and everything to 
push the kingdom of God, although they didn't have a big revelation of the kingdom of God, because Jesus is the one who talked more about that. But there were still people seeking the Lord. So if you follow your timeline, in Jesus' time, we're now in the, maybe in the 20s AD or so, uh, maybe 18 or so, um, people did not recognize him. And there was a lot of foolishness that came from the Pharisees, a lot of wickedness from the people of God. And that same wickedness and that foolishness is what got our Messiah crucified on the cross. Let's fast forward. Let's go to Jesus' ministry in Matthew uh, 24. So please move to your right. And let's go to the Gospel of Matthew. And we, have, we are in a similar situation as we were with Isaiah. Isaiah was prophesying 700 years in the future. And Jesus over here is prophesying 2,022 years into the future. And if you didn't catch that, that's our year. In chapter 24, Jesus is talking about the signs that we should be expecting when the end is near. He talks about wars. That's not happening in our world, right? No wars at all. None. He talks about famine. No famine, right, family? No famine in the world. Good. Uh, he talks about nations that will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdoms, um, and there will be earthquakes. No earthquakes. No, none of that is happening, right? And he says in verse 8, all these are the beginning of birth pains. And then he continues to develop, you know, his prophecy. He's talking about the future, which is the time that we live in. But I want to focus on verses 22, because I started with the foolishness of those who are outside, but now I'm going back to, we're talking about the people of God. And today, the people of God is a church. It's not a physical Israel. It's not because of your nationality. You're not part of God's kingdom because you're a Jew. No, you're a part of God's kingdom because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, lives in you. And now you have been sealed for salvation. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. Sounds like we're a little bit tired. That's okay. That's okay. It's cold today. So I get it. Um, in verse 22, he kind of summarizes a lot of his, his ideas. He talks about frost prophets and all that. So I'm going to read these three verses, 23 through 25, so you can see that if we're not careful, you and I can be the next wave of fools. That's a hard word, church. That's a hard word. 22, it says, If those days had not been cut short, he's talking about the future, no one would survive. But for the say of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. Do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. We are the elect, church. If you're saved in this room, and you know the Lord, we are the elect. But this is something that we need to keep in front of our eyes. Even if we are the elect, if we're not carefully seeking the Lord constantly, we're going to end up being like the fools. And I include myself. Because I am not... I, did you read what we said about Jeremiah? 
the prophets and the priests were corrupt, corrupted. They got corrupted. So even if I'm not careful, in these last, time, last days, in the end times, I could also become a fool. My desire is not to end up there. So what I'm going to talk about in, in this half is let's talk about what are some of the things that we can do, solutions, so we don't end up becoming fools, but instead we become active seekers of God. The first thing that we need to do, the first point, and you might want to write these, and I will be quoting a, a bit of scripture, but you don't have to go there if you want to write it down and maybe do it after service and check it. That would be great. But here's the first thing that we can do, family, so we don't end up becoming fools. Number one, we need to be born again and receive the paraclete. If you're here and you haven't been following Matt's series, the paraclete is the Greek word that is used for the Holy Spirit to describe him as counselor, as advocate, depending on the translation that you read. It has a, a, an interesting range of meaning. It's the friend that goes with you and tells you, tells you what's right and what's wrong. So there's no way to seek God without the paraclete. It says in John 14, verses 25 to 27, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Yes, amen. So as you can see, the first thing that we need to do is to be born again. Remember, the covenant was so bad, badly done by the Israelites. They didn't fulfill their side of the bargain, if, if I may. That literally, God tells Jeremiah, tells him, I'm going to do a new covenant, and I'm going to put my word in their mind, and I'm going to write it on their hearts. And that is the Holy Spirit. So we cannot even seek God properly without receiving the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you're not certain about that paraclete leaving in you and you having fellowship and relationship with Him, I'll be very honest with you in love. You will never be able to please God until you have given your life to Him and the Holy Spirit dwells in you because He is the only one that can draw you near to Him. So church, we all need this paraclete. We all need it. The second point we need to follow the commandments. We need to be obedient to God. Uh, maybe you remember in John 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commands. That's what Jesus said. So part of being in, in, seeking the Lord is knowing the commandments and doing them. And one of them is tough. Forgiveness. It's tough, especially forgiving those who have hurt us, those who did something to us when we were young. But there's a reason why Jesus keeps saying, forgive your enemies. Because what happens is that unforgiveness becomes a veil. And then your lenses, if I may, let's use that. Lenses 
become blurred. And you start looking more inside and not to God. And then we start becoming more like, you know, God, but but this is my situation, this is my thing, this is my, it's all me, 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 and I get it. There was pain, legitimate pain. It needs, it hurts us. But at some point, we have to say, Lord, you're my redeemer. And you're my healer. And I'm going to surrender this to you. And I'm going to become a testimony. So the enemies that hurt me end up coming to your feet. And that they will repent. And maybe you can use me. Maybe you can use me to bring them to the kingdom of God. And it could be a process. It could take us a few years. But if it's distracting you from your relationship with God, you need to surrender it. Seek Him. Number three, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. In this last days, family, we need to abide in Christ. Jeremiah, I love him because he was an example of a prophet that decided not to compromise and he continued to abide and hear the voice of God. If we fast forward to today's world, we need to be like in John 15, 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice that it doesn't say the more you go to school, to your Christian school, the more you go to your uh, Sunday morning service, or the more you give money to the church, you will bear more fruit. No, it says remain in me, have relationship with me, have intimacy with me, and I will guide you so you can be fruitful in these last days. You also remember there's a verse in Scripture that says the sheep hear my voice. How can we hear his voice? If we don't abide in him. This is a daily thing, guys. <laughs> We're in a season where we have more entertainment than ever before. We're in a season where we play more sports than ever before. My goodness, I feel like every two years we come up with a new game. A new, a new thing, right? We got game consoles. We got a bunch of shows and entertainment that the city provides. And we have all these different things on Netflix. Well, maybe some of you don't like Netflix. I'm sorry if I'm pushing a button here. Some other format, some other platform that you prefer. Um, And that consumes the time at home where we should be spending it, abiding in Him. There's more entertainment and less prayer at home. And then we ask, why? Why are all these things happening? That's the same thing that happened to Israel because they did not abide in him. We have to be careful. And this goes for me as well. Point number four. And this is our daily prayer. Seek first the kingdom of God every day and at all times. Yes, seek first the kingdom of God every day and at all times. Matthew 6, 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And in the context of that message, or that verse, Jesus is talking about 
people needing clothes and food and things like that. And he said, do not worry about any of those things. Seek first the kingdom of God. So that's the context of where this is being told by Jesus. You've also remembered the words of uh, Paul and what he says, pray without season. In every circumstance, we've got to be in prayer. This doesn't mean that you're going to kneel everywhere you go. I mean, we've got work to do, right? But maybe as you're typing, maybe as you're talking to that client, tell the Lord, Lord, you're here. I need your help. Give me wisdom. Yeah, what were you saying again? Okay, all right. Okay, yes, Lord. Okay, okay, okay. What do you need? Okay, this check, all right. Or you're typing on your computer and you're typing this, like, Lord, you're here. I'm tired, but I know you're here. Thank you. You're my friend. You're the paraclete. You're always with me. I abide in you. Help me to abide because if not, I'm going to say a few things to those students. But anyway, Lord, no, you know, you're still here. I love you. Or I'm going to say a few things to my husband. But no, 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 you're here. I abide in you, Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Anyway, sin. <laughs> right? So we have to find ways to, main, to be there, abide, and remain in him. And the reason why we went through all of this in Scripture today is because my desire is that in these last days that we don't end up being the fools. I don't want to be a church that is more interested in what's happening, you know, in, the, in, in politics or in our community and not being paying attention to what heaven is saying about those circumstances. To me, it's interesting that we get more excited about a basketball game or a football game, or we get more excited about, you know, going and seeing our best, you know, favorite politician speak or whatever, or, or we get super excited about different things like that. But when it comes to having a relationship with God, it's like, I'll do it when I, when I have time, or I'll do it when I remember, or I'll do it whenever this or that. No wonder the church sometimes will, is unable to respond properly to crisis. Because when crisis comes, when you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. But when you squeeze an apple, what do you get? Apple juice. But what happens when you squeeze a Christian? You should get an overflow of the Holy Spirit. You should get an overflow of the Holy Spirit. But the church has been weak in many areas. Because we pay attention more to our watches. Because we pay attention more to our devices. Because we pay more attention to the next big thing that I could get. The next car, the next house, the next thing. And we say, oh, God is blessing me. Of course, yes, look at all the big things I'm getting. But our spiritual life is in poverty. And I don't want to end up in a place where God starts speaking in one direction. And I am going against the will of God because I have become a fool. I want to be in a place where I can tell the Lord, Lord, I'm listening, and I had these plans. And because I sat in the presence of the Lord, like Jeremiah did, in the counsel of the Lord, you gave me a different vision, and I plan to go left, but you have clearly said, I need to go right. And I'm going to move in this direction, because even though it will cost me a few friendships, even though it's going to cost me a few things in my, in my future, I know that I'm going to have prosperity in the kingdom of God. I know I'm going to have prosperity in my spiritual life, and I will be fruitful. And more people will be blessed. And more people will be touched because I am obedient to the Holy Ghost, to the paraclete who is my best friend. Hallelujah. And I'll tell you this. And we're, we're finishing this service, this sermon. It says, in order, in order for us to survive in the last days, we need to cultivate an intimate relationship with God so we can clearly hear His voice, follow His lead, and be effective in God's mission. And this is only accomplished by befriending and submitting to the Holy Spirit. 
Make time for him, church. Make time for him. Just like you schedule an appointment, schedule your 10 minutes a day with Jesus. Put it on your, on your device. Make time for him at home. Before you go to bed, tell your wife, let's pray for 10 minutes. Start somewhere. God may take it somewhere else. <laughs> Create environments of worship at home. We got all this beautiful technology. Play some Christian music. Sit in the presence of the Lord. Let the music minister to you and help you, guide you there. Open the scriptures on your favorite device or whatever you need and have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Tell, us, tell him, help me interpret these things in scripture. Help me, Lord. I need your help. Make appointments with God. If you go and get your co coffee by yourself, imagine that Jesus is there and start speaking to him and reveal your heart to him. Hallelujah. And if you do whatever you need to do, do it because these are hard times, church. These are hard times. And we need Jesus more than ever before. We need his paraclete more than ever before. And I'm glad that he went back to heaven because now we have the paraclete in us who is guiding us every single day until he comes back or until our death, whichever one comes first. And there are times in this, new, in this, in this time that we live in where we're going to have to learn to live by revelation. The revelation of God. We have the word of God but prayer and, and the voice of God allows you to apply it correctly. We have the word of God that tells us exactly how to live certain things. But it is through prayer that we are able to be effective in the kingdom of God. We need both. There's a reason why the apostles were saying in chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, that they, were, that they could not uh, abandon the ministry of preaching the gospel and prayer. Preaching the gospel and prayer. You can have a lot of preaching without prayer, you won't be effective. You can have a lot of prayer without knowledge and you do make a lot of mistakes because you need this to be grounded. But if you have both, you're going to be super effective because that's the model of Jesus. Jesus knew the word. We all knew he was a Jew. He knew all that. He knew everything. At the, the age of 12, he was addressing some issues with the Pharisees. We all know that. But he knew the word. But at the age of 30, when he starts his ministry, there were times that he would come and minister to the people. He will remove himself, be with the Father, come back. And the, and the apostles will say, hey, let's continue this thing. People are getting healed and doing this. And Jesus will say, no, I spoke to the Father. I need to go this way now. So even the apostles, were, because they were not always abiding, and I understand it. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet at, the, at that time. They will also miss it. So you can hang out a lot with, a lot with Christian folks and still miss it. We need to abide in him, church. We need to abide in him. Hallelujah. I'm fired up. I don't know if you're fired. If you are, just give me something. An amen or something. I'm fired up. So, church, my invitation is seek him now. Seek him now. Seek him now. Like, look at what David said. No one seeks you. But this is a generation that will be known hopefully differently. These are the ones that seek me all the time. I want to be one of those. I, will, I make mistakes. And usually when I find myself with, with struggling with certain things or being a little bit, you know, mean to my wife or things like that, when I reflect, those are seasons or times in the week where I have not, I have not been abiding in him. But every time I, I retreat and I go back to that place and come out, I can be a blessing to my wife. Where are you, wife? Okay, Agnes, there you go, my beautiful wife. And she knows it. I've told her. If I don't abide in him, you're going to get the worst version of me. And so she knows it. And sometimes I tell her, I need to talk to the Lord. She's like, you do you. 
<laughs> you got to do that. It's better for our family. Absolutely. Right, baby? And there are times where I was like, I really need to spend time with him because I have been, I have not been abiding in him. So this is how we are going to close tonight. So if the worship team wants to get on stage and maybe play a little bit of something and maybe the elders, um, if you want to start get, you know, moving to your places to, to be ministered, I think, I truly believe that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, your friend, the advisor, counselor, advocate, is, has been knocking on some hearts today. And he's saying, in this area, you need to seek me. In this area of your life, you need to seek me. And if you open the door, I will reveal to you the wounds and the pains, and I will uproot it, because I'm an expert at that. He did it with Israel. I'm going to uproot it and heal it and restore it and plant a new seed that will bear fruit. So if this is you in this morning, this is an invitation. Let God put his finger in that area of your life that hurts and let the paraclete heal you. Let the paraclete restore you. It says in the book of James chapter 5 that when we are ill, and that includes physical, emotionally, spiritually, that we need to go to the elders of the congregation and the prayer of the righteous and the elders will help us to be healed and be delivered. And he even says that by confessing our sins to the elders, we can be set free and leave this room free from whatever is in us. So this is the Holy Spirit having an invitation with you. He's calling you today. Our elders are amazing. They, they love the Lord. They seek the Lord. And, and if you need help in an area of your life, maybe there's weakness. Maybe there's, there's been times and seasons where you're like, man, is this for real? Like, do I really need to follow this? Hey, come to one of these elders and be prayed for. Young people, do, like Jeremiah, I'm talking to 20 and, well, let's say 25 down. I want to speak to you. Jeremiah was about 18 or 19 when he was called, and he was seeking the Lord, and he had a vision of what was right and what was wrong at that young age. Do not despise or do not diminish what God can do through you in this, in this, in this generation. God wants to use you. Samuel was 12. David was 12 or 16. If someone needs an encounter with that God today and hasn't received the Holy Spirit and you want to be saved today, also come to one of these elders and be prayed for. Do not leave this place without the paraclete because you won't make it. I'm telling you, you won't make it because he's looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. If the spirit of God is in us, it's not in us. We cannot, we cannot please him. We cannot praise him as he should be. So please... This is my invitation. Do not leave this place without the paraclete and do not dis- leave this place without burdens that could be surrendered to God today. Because sometimes those needs and those things that we need to surrender are the things that are making us fools. Do not miss what God wants to do in your life. Do not miss what God is, is trying to do in your life. Do not delay the plans of God for your life. Do not delay them. We need, we need the body, the full body to be engaged and abiding. So elders, will you please take your place? I'll stand here and if you want to...